Let's call the meeting to order. I'm stepping in as chair just for the moment. For the moment, because our finance chair is is chewing his food. Um, so, Rick. Do you want to have attend a roll call? Oh, I beg your pardon. Thank you. Trustee Banerjee and Trustee Varney are absent. Trustee Lujanani. Present, roughly. <laughs> Trustee Lawrence. Here. We do not have a quorum today. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's continue on anyway, even without a quorum. Um, why? Where's my agenda? Here. Here. Um, Mr. Chairman, before we begin, I wanted to uh, formally introduce a special oh. guest. Thank you. Um, we have with us tonight uh, Mike Gomez, who's a trustee with the Alameda Health System Foundation and currently is the most recent elected chair of the Audit Committee. Uh, he's asked to be here as a guest to observe the operations of the committee. Thank you. Welcome, Welcome Mike. How weird. Um, Mr. Chair, I recommend that we um, we table election of chair until we have a full quorum. I think that would be good since it will be impossible to elect a chair. Okay. Uh, and I would like to defer the approval of the minutes since we don't have a quorum. That would be impossible as well. Okay. So then uh, we can move to our report. The internal auditing, so evaluation of the MGO performance. Let's go do that. And I will go get a report that's actually Okay, uh, so I worked with management and did the evaluation of the auditors for their performance uh, during the 2015 audit <clears throat> and used the same uh, basic form that I had used the uh, previous year. Uh, and what I noted was that there were several areas uh, that were scored as need improvement. And those areas were in uh, the coordination and communication, uh, timeliness, and special requests. Uh, and while their performance was significantly improved from the previous year, uh, it is the end of their contract, and I think it makes good sense if we put the uh, annual audit out for bid. Uh, and because their performance was improved, that they still be allowed to uh, be one of the bidders for the contract. Okay. How many years have they served us? Uh, they've been here six years. Okay. They've completed two three-year contracts. Okay. Is there any requirement that we um, formally change auditors? Uh, there isn't a requirement that you change auditors, uh, but there uh, are some requirements for rotation of partners, and the fact that we changed the partner this year, which I think is what really improved the uh, audit results, mm -hmm. uh, I think we're okay. Okay. So are there, are there any questions about the performance? I've, I've provided in the letter uh, why we scored them the way that we did. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, no, I, you know, they gave a pretty thorough report, Rick, and, and I think yours says the same thing. Uh, we can't vote tonight to um, to honor your request because we don't have a quorum, but I, you can get some guidance from the two of us to yeah. say it makes reasonable sense for us to have an open um, process for new, for new auditors. So uh, I started the RFP process already just to get uh, the paperwork drafted up, working with our contracting department, and uh, we can discuss it more at the next meeting. If I, if I could comment, and the, uh, since this audit also covers the uh, foundation, uh, Deb Barnes has requested that the foundation be involved in the uh, evaluation selection process. Great. Perfect. Makes great sense. Mm -hmm. um, who are you uh, thinking of sending the RFP to, Rick? Uh, we haven't made that determination yet. I pulled the uh, county to find out uh, what auditors have been uh, involved in their RFP process because they did one two years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've pulled some of the uh, local hospitals to see who does hospital auditing because it is uh, different in, in nature from other uh, governmental audits as well as uh, other you know, public companies. So uh, I'm trying to get a comprehensive list of people that would be qualified for and then see who would be uh, wanting to or willing to uh, propose for our work. Mm -hmm. uh, because the audit committee is a, a board committee, it might be a good idea if you, it doesn't have to be from, from the four of us, you could open it up to the whole board and ask for them to sit on as you do your interviews for your audit company. Good idea. So, so you know, you could include someone from from the foundation because they're they'll be available as well, or they'll be impacted. I don't know if you would get any feedback, but as a courtesy, you might also want to consider asking if uh, board members had any recommendations. I don't think there's anyone who's really deep into the audit community here, so, but, like, up to you. Um, that all makes sense to me. Okay. 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 All right. Um, so the next item was the uh, management letter status, and uh, as done in the past, I, uh, keep a running tally of all the management letter findings and uh, try to update those for each meeting to see where we are and, and provide the status to the committee. Uh, so for the 2015 audit, uh, we had uh, five, uh, five, five issues that were done as part of the annual audit and two as part of the single audit. So we had a total of seven new issues. And we've developed action plans to address all of those items. And for the 2014 audit, we had uh, two issues from the uh, annual audit, two issues from the single audit, and uh, a couple of those have been resolved or repeated in the 2015 audit, so we've closed the old item. And the 2013 and 2010 audit, uh, all of those items have 
been closed out because they are now incorporated in the 2015 findings. So <clears throat> the older items were very generic, uh, uh, global, like you know, IT strategy, but. Uh, in subsequent years, they wouldn't close that uh, comment because there was one little piece of uh, IT that they didn't like, uh, like the, the security program or uh, testing the disaster recovery plan. So we asked them to close those broad uh, findings and put in a specific comment what they expected to see in 2015. Okay. So we now have... Uh, a handful of, of items that we will continue to follow up on and uh, make sure that we get all of those resolved. I see what you're doing here. Okay. So Rick, these are from the auditors, not from you? These are from MGO. Okay. So what I do is, is try to go in behind them and make sure that, that each item is resolved and provide a, a continual status to the committee, but it doesn't get officially closed until MGO does, or whoever our annual auditor is, goes in and tests that process in the subsequent year and are satisfied with the results. Okay. okay. Are um, there any questions about any of the findings? The, the 2015 ones are the ones that we talked about at the December meeting, so I don't think we covered those recently, and most of those are going to be, are scheduled to be completed uh, this fiscal year. Uh, what, what kind of employee, employee assets um, did they discover that we're not collecting from at, on termination? A laptop, a tablet, and a phone from uh, an employee that left and decided that those were their personal uh, effects. So is this, is this, I mean, as, a, as an item, you have a medium. Is this for one person, or is this a process that you're? That was uh, directed at one person, but it, it's a process that needs to be tightened up. Uh, we need a better uh, out-processing process so that when an employee leaves, you touch base with uh, the different areas of the company, you get IT access turned off, you gather up personal effects, you get keys turned in, you take their security badge, uh, you make sure that you get their final check ready, and uh, anything else that, that needs to be taken care of when an employee is leaving, or, or contractor even. So uh, our process, has been kind of loose in the past and people left and HR wouldn't know about it for weeks. Uh, IT wouldn't know about it for even longer and uh, you you have exposure when those things happen. Yes, of course. Uh, what's the process to terminate uh, people off the IT system? Uh, the manager of that person is supposed to complete uh, an e-form which goes to IT, uh, they disable access, and then that should uh, start a series of activities to identify the different applications that they had access to so that you could uh, revoke their uh, sign-on in each one of those systems. And what about trustees? 
That's a good question. <laughs> in terms of system or in terms of like, uh, the inventories? Both. So I don't know the access keys. It's only access to the quarterback. You don't have access to the quarterback or anywhere internal. But, but, gosh darn it. I'm sorry. Uh, I'll stop that. Don't touch it. <laughs> I know. It's, 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 uh, but I was going to ask Suzanne. So, uh, for board effects, what do we do? For board effects, I just log in and uh, remove somebody's access, and it's not a big deal. Okay. And I've already. Right. And then for equipment, I mean, I can only speak from the last experience. So we uh, did work with. Uh, Trustee Miller for the one piece of equipment that he did have, which was his iPad. Uh, and uh, there is a process for about, uh, either collecting that when you're done with it, or uh, as was the case for him, um, he expressed a desire to keep it, and we valued it, and he paid for it, and it was his. Probably a small matter, but it's probably worth treating trustees just like any. If there's a process for employees, we'd probably treat the trustees exactly the same way, unless that. Yeah, a lot, a, a lot less complicated, but still sure. war yeah. warranting a onboarding and offboarding process. So we can, we, yeah. can, we can work on that. Yeah. So whatever. We'll work with the clerk to make sure we have a standardized way of doing that. Any other questions about the? Management letter. Um, just one more generic question. Uh, so we review you know, the progress again. Everything seems to move in a stately way and it gets done. Do you ever run into problems as you're doing your um, audit finding follow-ups with, with, with folks? Uh, sometimes I find that they haven't been uh, uh, followed up on and then I have to prompt them and, and that's when we come back with a revised date. Uh, but uh, since I tell them I'm reporting them to uh, the board, they usually, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to have to come and, and defend themselves. I see. So, I, well, because uh, we're so mean and we make people do all this. <laughs> well, um, so, oh, oh, always, always good to have the fear of the board behind you, I guess. Oh. Really, there aren't that many problems. I mean, there could be delays in the process. Things didn't move along as swiftly as, as they felt when they responded. But uh, it's usually just you know a short while later that we get the items resolved. Uh, did, did the outside auditors set the priority, or is that priority set by you? So the priority was uh, set by me based on uh, how I feel about the significance of the finding. Uh, so I was trying to categorize these for the committee so that they could see if something was uh, real important or if it was, uh, you know, insignificant. Okay. Now, hopefully, there are no issues that are reported to this committee that are insignificant. Uh, so if we start seeing a bunch of lows on there, then either our auditors aren't doing a good job or I'm not doing a good job. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, status of the internal audit plan. Uh, I consider it to be on time at the present time. Uh, 
I have released a report on the admit on order uh, process at the hospital and uh, we can talk about that in a few minutes once I get through this one. Uh, I have issued a draft report on the trauma department and uh, how we're capturing charges or how we're charging for our trauma patients uh, which will be presented at the next meeting and uh, I've got several audits that are in process now and I expect all of them to be done by the end of the year. Okay. Uh, Rick, could I request that you meet with uh, Trustee Banerjee and um, the way in which you met with me to onboard me into the audit process so that she has an understanding of, of what you do, what the committee function is, how it operates, and maybe you could arrange a time for the two of you to meet. Just her or Trustee uh, Varney also? Uh, he's not been on the audit committee before? No. Oh, well then yes. Okay, I, I had offered that to him earlier tonight before he left. And okay. So I'll, I'll reach out to both of okay. them. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Uh, um, no one ever oriented, well, I'll let you decide, but no one ever oriented me. I just got told to sit down and start deciding. Uh, would, it, would it make sense to orient me as well? Not at this point. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 don't know. I don't know what secrets he's told you. <laughs> I, I thought we did do that. Well, I, I, you, and I had, you and I met and talked about lots of stuff, but if, that, if, that, if it counts, that's fine. I just, if you would like to meet uh, separately, I can do that. I don't have the boarding design, but if you think would be, if you think it would be useful to me, include uh, I would I would love to do it as well. But if you think I'm if you think I'm all set, I'm fine. What I would basically do is cover what the internal audit program is and does, and what the compliance program uh, is all about. Because I I was actually expecting some question from the new trustees tonight mm -hmm. uh, that they might not. Uh, understand what I was talking about because I was going to be high level and their eyes would glass over and they would just like oh, no, what terrible are you talking about? Okay, I, I, think we're, I think we're all set then. I think you've been at enough meetings that you know but I'm, I'm happy to meet. No, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll find a time to meet for something else but that's fine. Okay. Rick, do you want to perhaps uh, we talked about the uh, trustee, one of Trustee Miller's um, uh, recommendations before he left uh, re regarding the education on the um, the uh, full audit and the and the single audit and sort of the purposes of those and I think I think where we landed was you actually I, I think you said you did do those but perhaps with new trustees we could we could that may be an education point to share with them as well or maybe it didn't happen and we talked about it would be a good idea are you talking new, about the follow-up item uh, um, that was what an audit is and does. Uh, right, I think that's what it was. The audit primer that we were going to have MGO do because when they would come that's in and right. do their annual audit, uh, there was some confusion about what their responsibilities were versus what my responsibilities are. So uh, I still think we need to have that discussion and this would probably be a good place to have it uh, at a future meeting and it can be by me or it can be in conjunction with uh, the external auditors. 
Okay. Uh, so I have my audit schedule in there and uh, showing which audits I've been working on and, and the status of all of them uh, and what I'm expecting to accomplish this year. And the dates are kind of placeholders because you never know when things are, one thing is going to wind up and the next one's going to start. But uh, I do foresee all of these happening this year. Any questions on that? Well, I don't know what they mean, so they're just titles. So what is it that they include? So when you say um, you're intending to do management consulting and that's starting in July, what does that mean? Uh, so management consulting is uh, a broad category. All of those items at the bottom, management consulting, compliance, management requests, uh, administration, those are, are things that are going to occupy my time uh, and you never know what they are. They're, you know, people come to me for advice, uh, help me understand what kind of controls I should put into this process or uh, help me with this compliance issue uh, or, you know, department head meetings or something that's I have to account for those because I can't just say I'm strictly projects. Uh, so I'm putting those in just to show you that I'm working on stuff. Uh, the <laughs> ones above it. Vacation, you know, downtime meetings. But so th this has nothing to do with then this me this audit meeting and when we would expect particular reports to You would not get a particular report on any of those. You will get reports on the top six or seven items. Uh, so I would be uh, doing the IT penetration review in conjunction with IT. Uh, you would get a report. You would see findings and recommendations. You would see the follow-up action uh, until we get everything resolved. Uh, the ED charge capture, that's the trauma audit that I uh, have just put a draft report out on and you'll see that at the next meeting. Um, outpatient pharmacy, I'll be doing some work with them to see if we can get them under general ledger control instead of having them as a standalone system that nobody has access to except pharmacy and we don't know when money comes or goes. And, and so the things on this list were in fact a high priority from previous year? Yes. Okay. Those were, these were identified as high in my uh, risk assessment. I uh, put them on the list and said, here's my project plan for the year. Okay. Yeah. And, and this goes to whom? Your supervisor? It goes to you. Okay. As, as the audit committee. So, so. Yes, my supervisor. I'm just assuming that line is you're doing stuff. What? Help me, if I'm, if I'm supposed to supervise you on this, Rick. Yes. Give me, a, give me some meat here to put it into perspective of what, what this is and what this tool is. So how, how do I hold you accountable for this grid? You hold me accountable for the specific projects that are above. Okay. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that there is unaccountable time that I'm going to be spending 
If somebody comes to me and I need to spend two hours on something, I'm not going to make it a project and write a report because it would take me days to write a report that uh, would be presentable to management uh, versus... Yes, Jim. Go ahead. I have a suggestion. Okay. okay. Uh, so I'm just saying that there are categories of work that I'm doing uh, on an ongoing basis that will not be... Okay specific results. Okay, so then the other things that have dates related to this, ongoing time, I can see that you're just, you're working on these things that come to you. So then the charge capture, we should get something, we, we were to get something in January regarding charge capture, is that how I'm reading this? Yes. And February this month we should get something in outpatient pharmacy? Uh, that's when you have it ending. Yeah, it would be ending this month. Okay. So that's what I was saying. These dates were put in there in, uh, back in June as placeholders when I presented my plan, saying approximately this time frame I'm going to do this work. Uh, as it turned out, when I went to pharmacy and, and tried to do this work, my main contact uh, had to go on paternity leave and he's supposed to be back now so I will resume the work it will be done uh, in the next month or two and you will see a report so do you want to for our next audit meeting I guess this is on the quarterly so you probably will have it done by then so if you've done this last June and we're in January and these dates I, I'm trying to find a way in which I know that we should have had on the January agenda a charge capture report. No, no. Uh, if I met the targets, yes. Uh, as it turned out, I have issued the report in draft, but until I work, finish working it with management and get the responses and the corrective action plans, uh, it will not be presented to the committee. Okay. So. Technically, my audit is done, but I don't have the final product to present. Okay. Okay. Make sure I saw it. Um, maybe two simple recommendations. Probably adds a page. Maybe two. Um, what might be useful is, like for the for the major projects you have listed here, the top six or seven, is just like a paragraph that says this is what it means. Yeah. So admit on order, what do you mean by that? What are you going to do? And then, um, you know, it's like, okay, so it's Jan it's February 3rd, you know, don't quite have the ED charge capture, no big, but just maybe something that says, okay, um, you know, little status thing that says, okay, we're, you know, I'm, what you just said, I'm done in draft, but I haven't received the final comments. I expect it to be finished in whatever, end of February, something like that. That might be, would that be helpful? That's fine. How okay. Yeah, I'll just add a page or two and won't, won't be too much. Yes, uh, on the uh, report on the previous page, I do have in the last paragraph that a draft report has been issued on the ED charge oh. capture. Mm -hmm. There you go. Uh, and that field work has been started on the other two audits. So I'm giving 
uh, a brief status, but not going into detail as to when it will be done, but you should see all those at the next meeting. Okay. Yeah. Then they're fine. Okay. Then just a little description of what these things are so we can remember. <laughs> admit on order. Okay. So admit on order is the uh, first report that I've issued this year and it was basically the uh, Highland ED uh, to see uh, what the process was when a patient came in and was eventually admitted uh, as an inpatient and how long that process took and could I identify uh, any specific issues along that uh, timeline that could be addressed by management. And what I found was that the uh, general time frame from the time they came in to the time they were admitted was about 12 hours. And some of that is the initial assessment, some of that is, uh, uh, you know, workups, labs, then once they uh, actually got an order to admit, then there was still uh, a significant amount of time before they were admitted uh, physically into a bed. And so I made some recommendations to management to try to uh, shorten that time frame. And what I calculated was that from the, from the time they got there, if you could, you know, if they got in by 8 o'clock and were not admitted before midnight, it was costing us about $2.3 million a year. What's industry standards? The industry standard uh, was 4.5 hours uh, for a normal hospital and 5 to 8 hours for a public hospital uh, with teaching facilities. So 5 to 8 hours were at 12. So we need to, to pick it up a little bit and especially when it started starting to come up to midnight uh, because then you lose a night's uh, yeah. revenue because you can't charge them for the room that night. I remember sitting, this is terrible to say here, I remember sitting in the parking lot when I had my child waiting until midnight before I could walk into the hospital. <laughs> because I didn't have insurance. And, um, I didn't want to have to, I was very poor and didn't, didn't have insurance and I didn't want to. So I sat there, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, I make two recommendations. So I've got John Chapman here, uh, the CAO at Highlands, who's responsible for the ED, and just one page. He's uh, been the one that's that's addressing the findings here, and what I was really trying to say is two things: try to get him in before midnight. Uh, even if you have to drive them in out of the parking lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
and and then what can we do to shorten that time frame because it would increase the throughput in the hospital or in the ED. Mm -hmm. So, so um, I came to give you a, a, a little more description of what's causing the delays and what we're doing to fix them. So I think the easy way is to break up in three buckets. Uh, the first bucket um, is when a person comes in, how long does it take the ED physicians to agree to admit them? And right now, if you look on page 24 of your pack, you don't need to, I'll just read it to you. It's about 4.8 hours for that bucket, and it should be around three hours in uh, academic teaching. What drives it to 4.8 is primarily is we don't have an observation unit. So they're holding patients for several hours to see if they're going to improve or if they need inpatient admit. So one of the action items you'll see here, and I'm sure David Cox mentioned it, is the creation of an observation unit. We uh, are going in front of the budget committee um, at the next, uh, well, the internal budget committee and presenting how to create an observation unit in the ED. And we think we can get it up and running um, um, by, uh, uh, in the middle of April. It's only a few more uh, nurses. Explain the, explain the advantages and disadvantages and why, why an observation unit is helpful in relationship to the finance versus holding them in the ED. What, what, what are the... Uh, we both could jump in on this, but um, you get additional payments if they're under an observation status. And it takes them off the wait list uh, saying that they're sitting in the ED waiting for a bed when they're really not, they're being observed. I see. So that's the practical and that's the financial. Okay. Okay. What does an observation unit look like? Okay. It's actually, uh, would be based in the ED, but they treat the patients as if they were inpatients. So the charting, um, the med rec, all that's different from a typical ED patient versus an inpatient. Mm -hmm. So when I say we're coming with a proposal, it's basically creating a little inpatient ward within the ED. And so those are physically separate. Yeah, well, yes, there'd be five or six specific beds that we have now in the ED. And it's, we're not losing any ED capacity because these patients are already there. They're just under an ED status. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's one issue that drives up that 4.8. Okay. Okay. Um, and we think with the observation unit, that will actually cut it down to the three target we're after. Um, the second bucket is... But it doesn't change the, admit, the admission time from a patient. It changes the category. But if I come in mm -hmm. and I'm being observed versus getting a bed into a hospital, right. my, my time as a patient doesn't change. But the accounting of that, of where... Correct. Okay. That's right. Um, the second bucket um, is... It recognizes that it's intentional versus... Right. 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 Yeah, there's no gap in, in the system in terms of delays. It just puts you in the proper bucket. And actually, there is, when we have an observation, you know, obviously it improves quality of patient care for those who really need an inpatient status or an observation status. Well, I think psychologically for a patient and having been in the emergency room with parents, um, a lot of times they're there and they want something to happen and I have to say, Mom, they're just, they have to observe you for a while. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. So I get right. that psychological issue as well. Right. So, so you're assuming that the, at the moment you're assuming that the observation part of the process is running fine. That, that, that that's being that that's running. They're doing it right. Other than, other than where it's artificially the inflating the, the hours. The location is okay. correct. Right. The care, but the the care will be even better. Yeah, and they're supposed to be. 
then they need that time to do Correct. That. And as, as Rick and David Cox would tell you, there's, there's a few million dollars in revenue associated with coding it correctly. Okay. Um, being an observation patient versus just an ED stay. Is there any additional cost? There is. Um, it's, about, it's about four FTE of nurses. Um, but if you think about it, that's about anywhere from 450 to 500,000. And we're talking at least over 1.5 million, if not more, for uh, what we lost on observation status and the, uh, the midnight rule for inpatient admits. Okay, so if they're in an observation bed at midnight, then right. Okay, yeah. then we can build. Correct, Take and even down. yeah, and even for an inpatient who's waiting for a bed, you can build in a virtual bed. They that would be part of that same. I won't get you confused with virtual bed. Just say it's in the observation unit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Okay. Then the second bucket that we have here is how how it works. Is the ED provider makes his recommendation, and they have to do a handoff, right? they hand it off to the admitting physician. Typically, that's the medicine team. Uh, where we have huge delays, as you probably are well aware, because you just approved the, um, uh, the nocturnist contract for the hospitalist program at Highland, is there, there's only one resident uh, evenings and nights and weekends, and patients come in all hours, and you end up with a backlog of patients waiting for one person to write admit orders. Um, and to obviously not just write admit orders, but review the patient and go over um, the patient care with the ED provider. So we that right now it's about 3.2 hours. We believe with the nocturnist program we can knock it down to two, two and a half. Okay. Then the final bucket on that you can see on page 24 when you have time. Uh, when you this is when you have an order and you're waiting for a bed. And if you take a look at ICU and SDU, they're like 12 and 13 hours and telemetry and med surge. John, the, now with that contract, mm -hmm. plus the four FTEs, right. well, it, it doesn't seem that there is a huge revenue. Um, you're not garnishing a big revenue. I heard several million dollars. I'll, I'll defer to Rick and David on uh, getting inpatients on time before midnight and observation status. I mean, you estimated it'd be about. I've seen numbers like two to three. Two. Uh, I said one and a half to two point three million. Okay, so let's net. let's go low, one and a half. Mm -hmm. And now you have the four nurses of FTE, approximately five hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. And the contract for the nocturnal mm -hmm. is another. What was that? Five hundred, and I can't remember what was on there. Was it? Now the hospital program solves two things. It's they're nocturnists, and they also um, reduce the number of patients assigned to each teaching team, which was uh, an issue and a finding here. So if you actually break out that uh, hospital's contract, it's about two FTE for nocturnists, and the other one point three worth to to uh, help with teaching teams during the days. Okay, so it's it's really the process, and I'm not. Uh, uh, it's a really a, a cost neutral mm -hmm. and an expense neutral. I mean, we're not. It solves a lot of problems, but it isn't. It isn't generating. Right. It wasn't necessary to make money. It was a quality, that's, and we wanted to sustain it. And throughput. Right. I just. I just don't think that his report says it's likely to get uh, a million and a half to two million revenue. So you see the revenue. But you don't. Right. But you don't talk about the expense. Sure. And you brought up the expense. And, right. And solving other problems at a at a cost neutral. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. Right. So okay, I just. 
We just need right. to track that. Well, it, it's nice to know that that there's an offset for the additional cost we're asking to bring on to solve That's the patient right. care. That's right. <clears throat> and then the third bucket uh, is the after the orders are ready is a bed ready. And right now, if you take a look at the Highland Census, it's it's, it's beyond where we're targeted. Uh, Typically, patients uh, are, are waiting 11 to 12 hours for ICU or a med surge. And to try to give you a picture of that, if you're in ICU or an SDU bed, <coughs> the next place that you go to is med surge. And then after that, you get discharged. So if our med surge beds are filled, that's a problem. It holds up, it, it holds up the line. Um, there's two ways we want to tackle that. The first one, and the most obvious, is why don't we leverage uh, available beds at San Leandro and Alameda? And we're going to do that. Uh, we've asked for dedicated beds, five unit uh, units at both San Leandro and Alameda, and we've started a transfer center. Uh, Dr. Swift is leading um, the physicians at all sites coming up with algorithms for, you know, easy med surge transfers. Um, and transferring at least one patient a day uh, to each site. Uh, that's going to solve our issues with losing eight med surge beds when we open up a new tower in April as well. Mm -hmm. Just makes sense. And what we are losing out of the system is when when San Leandro and Alameda want to travel, uh, want to transfer to a higher level of care, we have no beds. So where do they send them? They send them to the Bates and other places. So we'll be dedicating higher level of beds, which we can do because we'll have more ICU beds in the new facility, and hopefully everybody's happy. Sounds great. Right. While reducing that 4.4 hour wait down to the two, two and a half hour window that it should be at most. So you add that all that up and we get to the seven to eight hour time frame, which I, I, I totally believe we'll succeed in getting in the first quarter of next fiscal year. And is the transporter, is that an outside agency that we contract with or is it? Well, the transfer center is actually, it's, it's our own people um, who basically Corral the cats because with handouts you have nurse to nurse. No, I meant the, the actual, the actual, actual ambulance. Yeah, yeah, that's West Med. Okay. You, okay. Right, you sign that contract. It's okay. it's a it's actually a small dollar expense to get okay. it back and forth. Okay. Um, so that's our plan. Um, there's a few other initiatives that I put there. I gave you dates that we believe will succeed in accomplishing, um, and what uh, bucket it's it will serve in reducing, and by what percent it should reduce. And you all that, add that up and you get to the seven and a half to eight hour time frame. That was very interesting. Sure. No problem. It's an interesting <laughs> uh, Thanks, Delinka. <Lincoln. laughs> okay. Somewhere between kind of an observation, which is um, inspired by this discussion, but it's not exactly. One of the things I'm curious about Rick Style is when you come in to do an audit of something, there's a very high level, very high content of you know, consultation and business improvement. You know, I mean, this is an example, right? This is an example. So, um, and I think it's extraordinarily useful. So I wonder, I, I continue to wonder, why don't we have you know, a couple more I have a feeling that if that you know if an organization as complex as Highland Hospital could probably benefit from almost constant you know, examination of the processes and procedures because 
I would assume that you know, the question arises, how did you get to the spot? Uh -huh. The answer is probably slowly over time, that, you know, a whole bunch of decisions, individual decisions that were right and ended up with uh -huh. the system that, right. could some, that could achieve some improvement. And I would just add to your suggestion, uh, besides audit, uh, what we're trying to form is our good performance improvement teams right. who catch this before we even get to a problem. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that, that's, you need the team, not the problem. Every problem, it's okay to go in and discover problems. Right. Yeah. We ought to, but somebody's got somebody's to take care of it. Mm -hmm. So the resources aren't in discovering the problem, it's the resources go Preventing. to, yes, to the prevention of the problem. Right. So, oh, so yeah. You creates a fairly effective team everywhere he goes. So. Well, we haven't heard from them whether or not that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we think he's we think he's effective, but since he's reporting to the board, it becomes an effective team. <laughs> <laughs> it's an effective team, or else. Yeah, we want to, we, we, I, I think yeah, we, we we would we would not want to. Um, perpetuate a notion that the improvement work right. is within someone else's shop. That yeah, right. What we're trying to perpetuate is the notion of a culture of, of, of problem solvers throughout right. the organization okay. at whatever level they're at and, and building in a, a mindset and a methodology to be able to do that you know, throughout the organization. Um, I was just thinking one, I agree. Jim, uh, but that takes people to be able to do <laughs> some expertise part. to do that. Yeah. Sorry, I keep forgetting. Um, what, one it just reminded me of you know, one of my, one of the places I've spent many years of my career. Uh, one of the prime training grounds was the internal audit organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people would go through and they would develop these, you know, sort of general skills through auditing and a, and a very broad knowledge of the organization. They were in very high demand throughout the organization, not as auditors, but as, you know, decision support. The decision yeah. support and improvers and, you know, and, and many of them went on to become senior executives. So, um, so a lot of, a lot of uh, what, what I guess of later, you know, recent years uh, uh, have been referred to as like high performing organizations yeah. create um, a um, sort of an, an entity within the organization whose role it is to to sort of perpetuate those skills throughout yeah. the organization. It's like internal consultants almost. Yeah. Um, some organizations actually do call it like internal. Stanford used to have like internal consultants. They and many other organizations, including this one for a while, uh, converted to adopting a PI methodology, performance improvement methodology, um, where there were people who were responsible for sort of managing that, but the, but the, um, but the accountability was diffused throughout the organization, mm -hmm. and the goal was to educate all of them so that then they they uh, they maintained it, and then you just have people who were responsible for um, making sure you held the gains, and then that you spread them throughout the organization. So, so that we have that here. Um, we still sort of have remnants of it here. Uh, it's a much smaller uh, a group uh, that sort of got pared away, and um, and there are ongoing discussions about how to. Mm -hmm. How to bring that back? How and when to bring that back, uh, and what to do in the meantime? So okay. we'll we'll talk more. Okay. It may even be in that just budget, but I, I think it remains to be seen. So. Okay. Thank you. So, just to add on to that, um, John's area was already doing some work on on this time study. Uh, I think what I bring to it is looking at it from a little bit different aspect. Uh, doing the financial uh, quantification, 
and uh, then by reporting the results, uh, we elevate the action plan uh, to this level so that uh, there's more accountability to make sure that something gets done because now you have an expectation that it gets uh, corrected. So not that he wasn't going to do it anyway, but uh, now everybody knows there's a plan out there and uh, we'll be looking for it. Okay. Past audit reports, there's uh, a bunch of them. So I continue to report on these until all items in the audit are completed to my satisfaction and then it drops off this list. Uh, so the system access audit, uh, we still have one that's going to be uh, completed by the end of this fiscal year, which is the identity management system, which will help with that notification and, and termination of access uh, once somebody leaves. Uh, we have the charge capture surgery audit, uh, which we still have one outstanding item, which is our anesthesia uh, charging. We, we really need an application to do that, that will, uh, because it's more complex than uh, the system can handle right now. Uh, the ACERA pension audit, we actually had a lot of movement uh, in the last couple of months, and a number of those items have been closed out, and we're waiting on uh, the ACERA uh, to actually finish some of the other items so that we can close those. Uh, so we've we've done our part. We've you know done our research. We've communicated, and now we have to wait on them to uh, finalize actions. Uh, disposal of IT assets. We've completed two of the items, and we have a third one that's uh, going to be done the rest later this year. And uh, the meaningful use audit. We've had movement on a number of those items but still have two uh, that are outstanding and you'll note that I've assigned uh, priority levels on these uh, the same as on the uh, management letter comments just so you'll know the importance of these items and again if you start seeing low priority then I'm, I'm not doing a good job of reporting. Okay, so any questions about any of those specific items? Well, I, I note on asset invent on the disposal of IT assets, uh, a comprehensive PC inventory, um, that's a notoriously difficult task, so <laughs> my hat's off to you. Um, anesthesia charges, why is that so different and difficult? Because I think I remember hearing that that was an issue in the past. So the... Uh, Soaring Financial System is basically a facility charging system and was not uh, set up to do professional fees, which are a little bit different. And they can handle the basic ones, but uh, when it gets more complex and you have to do formulas for calculating what the charges are, it uh, just wasn't set up to handle those easily. Mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> And then within the universe of physician billing, anesthesia is particularly complex because there are a number of uh, 
federal regulations about how they now have to be done and they're instead of like tracking typically you have an RVU which is a five digit code that you did something in anesthesia it's necessary to track the actual amounts of time with the patients and the types of drugs that were administered and things like that so it's very it's a very technical billing even most physician generic billing systems can't do anesthesia hmm. What's the process for disposal of, of equipment, old equipment? So, <clears throat> uh, IT gathers up old equipment, and if it's a uh, computer, if it's still uh, works. Not is this specifically for IT equipment, or is this for? Oh, okay. It's IT equipment. Okay. So if it's pretty much obsolete, uh, IT pulls the hard drive and they have a machine that crushes it so that nobody can go in and read that. Uh, if it's still usable equipment, then they're going to wipe the disk and start over again, uh, re-image it, reissue it. But first they have to make sure that you clean all the data off because you don't want uh, PHI going to uh, somebody that shouldn't be looking at it. So uh, they will recycle the equipment after they pulled the hard drive and erased any data and, and crunched them the, the data so it's it, the hard drive so it's not usable. Thank you. Any other questions? Um, I think so. It looks like it looks like most of the stuff is complete. So I assume it's going to be a much shorter list next time. Uh, like there's an item, there's two open on almost every one of these, so it, they will still be on here next time. Well, like finding number one, I see complete, 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 same with number two, four and five. I, I keep the whole audit on there until every item has been resolved. I see. Now, if you want me to wipe out the ones that are gone, then I can do that. But yeah, just uh, stick with whatever. It's just and, uh, okay. It's fine. Okay, so the compliance program, uh, the, the build of the compliance program is considered complete. We have the components uh, built, and I've reported on that at past meetings. Uh, you know, we've been communicating, we've got a compliance officer. Uh, People understand we've got reporting, we've got the hotline, uh, we've got various aspects to communicate those plans. Uh, now it's execution. And uh, we're still getting reports. We're getting reports at a little bit slower rate than we did the last couple of quarters, which uh, may be good or may be bad. Uh, it depends on why hopefully it's because they've reported all the significant issues and they've run out of things to say uh, but it's, it's hard to tell so what I've done is gone out and talked to some other compliance officers at local hospitals and kind of uh, uh, put some information on page 31 uh, to do some benchmarking to show how our program uh, compares to 
others in the local area. Uh, so I obtained data from San Mateo, San Francisco General, El Camino, and I kind of took what they said as, as being the truth, and, and they said they had three hospitals. I put down three hospitals. Uh, it turns out it's two hospitals and a home health care agency uh, when you look at San Francisco General. But it's still, it's kind of ballpark data to, to put the programs in perspective. But what's the feedback loop to those people who report uh, discrepancies or report, make reports? Uh, it depends on how they report. If they report anonymously uh, and they do it through the hotline, then I can respond to the hotline and they will have a callback number where they can check on the status. Uh, if they don't care to do that, they don't get an update. If they report something to me directly, uh, depending on what the issue is, I will try to get back with them and give them some feedback as to what I found. But if it's a, a highly confidential issue, I'll thank them for their support and tell them I took care of it. But I'm not going to tell them what happened. It's kind of like disciplining an employee. You can't tell uh, the other employee involved what you did other than I took care of it. So if they're working with me on the issue, then I'm keeping them apprised of what the results are. Okay. Thank you. So what I've found is looking at these other programs, they're uh, much more established. They've been in existence 10 years or longer, uh, whereas I've been a little over half a year. Uh, some of them have uh, multiple staff working on these kind of issues. Uh, others have a very uh, small staff of one uh, or none. Uh, some, you know, there's there's a variety of functions that they serve. So every program is a little bit different. It all depends on how they set it up, uh, whether they do uh, compliance, whether they uh, do privacy, and what that means to them. So uh, a lot of times, a separate unit does investigations and. Uh, they're reporting every time somebody calls and asks them a question. Is this, is this compliant if I do like this? Yes, log one case, done. Uh, so it's kind of all over the board. Uh, I think that our issues, if you look at the number reported is uh, in the ballpark, it looks like we're pretty normal. And ours might even be a little high because it's a new program and people haven't had the opportunity to report these kind of things in the past. Is this a, to have a compliance or an audit process, is, uh, is this as mandated by the state or is this an elect, uh, elective? There are guidelines that are published uh, for federal and state that uh, suggest strongly that you have a program and if you get in trouble uh, and you have a program it minimizes the damage uh, because they there is a effort to uh, identify these types of issues in advance and uh, prevent them from happening or correcting them on a timely basis so it is not a required program uh, but 
the guidelines are, are published by CMS and uh, the Office of Inspector General. And uh, if you do not have a program, you're subject to uh, triple damages and you're subject to stiffer penalties when something does happen. And I, you know, I don't mean to, you know, contradict Rick, but as a practical matter, you, you, it is a requirement. You cannot fulfill your fiduciary ob obligations as board members um, if there is no compliance program in place for an organization such as this. And there have been several court cases you know, over the course of the years which basically have established that principle that the minimum standard for satisfying the fiduciary obligations is to ensure that there is, in fact, in place a program that covers both compliance and audit issues. Um, so if there were some issue to arise at some point, you know, the absence of that, you know, could certainly lead to, you know, potentially legal liability in that, you know, you are typically granted immunity in your role as trustees to the extent that you are, you know, essentially discharging your duties in accordance, you know, with what the law would require. So, um, you know, he's correct that from a, you know, from one viewpoint, the regulatory viewpoint, you know, there's the strong recommendation and OIG certainly expects it. But as a practical matter, I think we we would adopt the position that yes, this is a, a minimum standard which we should. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead. No, and, and my, I heard earlier that he reports obviously reports to the you know to the audit committee, the board, but who has the evaluation process? for this employee taking place? For me? Yeah. Uh, that would be through uh, David. For da so you're, you're under David? Yes. Administratively. I would like to complete this performance review. Okay. And make a recommendation on salary increases. But he reports to you. Right. So if there's input, maybe what I should do is coming to you at that time of the year and say, you know, what, is there any feedback that you'd like to report? I see. Yeah. Okay. I just need to know idea. what yeah. what the if reporting you, structure was so that... Yeah. If yeah. you look at the uh, organizational org chart, he has a direct reporting line to you all. And within the organization, is a, uh, a reporting line to David. Kind of so it's on. Yeah, Gosh, so. you guys have an org chart? We do. Really? really? <laughs> uh, so interesting. Have we not shared that with you again? Okay. We'll take care of that. That was a little snide thing. Yeah. I might yeah, walk, I'll walk right into that. <laughs> Thank you. We'll take care of that. Yeah. And we'll put it on board effects. Yeah, and I don't mind. By my questions, please don't. There's no implication here that I'm just, I, I personally am dissatisfied or I've heard anything from the board. Is, I'm just trying to understand the reporting yeah, sure. structures. So. And, and, the, and those are precisely the type of questions that board members should be asking in terms of satisfying their obligations with regard to the compliance program, you know, you know, what is the reporting structure, who is conducting evaluations, what sort of information is being reported to us as board members, because that fiduciary obligation really goes to the question of is there a structure in place which is likely to identify potential issues and is there follow-up on these types of things. Not so much, you know, the getting into the weeds of, you know, what did you do about this, that, or the other, but ensuring that the structure is there and that it's being Implemented well, in some uh, fashion. Uh, then, then let, thank you, Michael. Uh, uh, I would also then add, it seems to me to be a a potential, and please don't take this e either, a potential conflict if, in fact, um, 
Rick is reporting to, it, it should either report to the legal counsel or find a different report evaluation process if in fact the stuff that you're looking at relates to things that you're doing in the organization. Yeah, I mean, I know that's a common perception, but if you actually go around and look uh, at how it's structured, uh -huh. it, it often winds up either in legal or in finance. In my experience, mostly in finance. It's part of the benefit is he gets to come to all of our meetings, <laughs> and he hears everything. So uh -huh. there's no secrets from, from what we're doing, and we rely on Rick implicitly to keep us from getting into trouble. So it's, it's like having somebody from the board in our deliberations. Yeah, and there, there are a variety of viewpoints on what the structure should be. I think the one you know, clear answer is that the compliance officer should not report to the general counsel. Uh, so that's, you know, there, it used to be <coughs> that the general oh, counsel and compliance officers might be one and the same or there might be a relationship between the two, and I think that's the one relationship that has been uh, universally panned. Um, and then the question uh, as to whether or not the auditor, you know, should, you know, report directly to the CEO or if it's okay to have the auditor uh, or a compliance officer, you know, report to a CFO, you know, it goes a little bit back and forth. Um, but again, you know, at the end of the day, whatever the structure, you know, the question is, you know, to what extent, you know, is there, you know, robust and, and serious action taken by the board in discharging you know, their, you know, functions and, and responsibilities, you know, because if the, you know, if the person is reporting directly to the CEO, CEO in many respects that's no less problematic than reporting to some other, you know, member, you know, of the, uh, the C-suite in some respects, if in fact, you know, there's no oversight of that relationship or, you know, those things aren't being exercised by the board um, as far as it goes, but, you know, uh, so those are the things to keep in mind, you know, as you're sort of going through this, thinking about it, and you know, talking today when the evaluation, you know, piece comes up, that type of thing. Or just be comfortable with whatever you're doing. Well, I would share just as a matter of uh, sort of uh, routine protocol. So, so obviously the relationship existed. That's why uh, when I came in, fundamentally, I have no uh, concerns with it. Uh, but just as a matter of sort of checks and balances, uh, uh, I, you know dutifully look at everything and if I have concerns uh, either here or things that aren't here, I'll, I, I reach out to Rick directly and mm -hmm. we have a separate relationship uh, um, just like it would be for anybody else in the organization if I were feeling like there, were, there was uh, a need to do that or that it's caused by some concern. In this case, it's just me making sure that I feel comfortable that you know the things that are being presented accurately reflect certain things that aren't uh, unduly influenced by anything else. And so, so far, just to ease your mind on this, uh, if I came across an issue that involved the CFO or even the CEO and I felt that I couldn't work that within the organization, then that would be addressed to the audit committee outside of the normal channels so that uh, it would be elevated and we could put it to bed. Um, so. You are, uh, you know, my employer, so to say, and uh, according to the charter, you are the one that has to approve hiring and firing of me. Yeah. Uh, so I have that line of communication and uh, would not be, you know, afraid of using it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And if I could just make a comment too. So I, I was Sutter's CFO for 
10 years and started the compliance program and it reported to me throughout my tenure. But one of the things we did was insist that at least once a year the board meet privately with the uh, compliance officer. That's a good Without idea. the CEO, without the CFO, to have a, just a private conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, the, the yeah. checks and balances, I think, are, are important to, to have in an organization. And yeah, that's great. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I was going to have one more thing. It may be, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable with the way it's arranged. It may be, again, to the checks and balances, it may be appropriate for the CFO to recommend to the committee like an evaluation, but it's the committee's responsibility to actually decide upon it. And I'll offer that as a thought. And I do have a question for Mike. Um, are there, you know, are there things that the board, this is a little outside of scope, but are there things that the board isn't doing right now or should be doing with respect to discharging its um, oversight duties that we might want to consider? And I, I would say generally no. I think that, you know, the items that, you know, Rick has identified to include in both, you know, his report from the audit function and the compliance function or directed towards, you know, sort of walking the board yeah. through its responsibilities. There is on uh, board effects uh, or there are on board effects a couple of documents which address specifically fiduciary obligations with regard to compliance and mm -hmm. basically included in those documents are sample questions that board members might ask during board meetings, you know, to address compliance issues. And then they also sort of speak generally about the, the obligation with respect to compliance. So, you know, so, so Rick's job is basically to sort of, you know, structure you know, information being reported to the board that satisfies that obligation. You know, the job of the general counsel is to sort of, you know, keep an eye out that that's actually happening and, you know, reviewing agendas and those sorts of things. And then, you know, the board members, you know, sort of exercising their own curiosity between those three items. You know, I think that you end up, you know, with the requisite degree of attention, you know, on preventive measures with respect to compliance. Okay. Well, I was thinking more broadly than compliance. I was thinking beyond the scope of compliance. There's I know. There, I mean, in theory, the, the trustees are responsible for absolutely everything. But you know, are there other things that you know we should be doing, like in the you know healthcare delivery side? Of oh, oh. We're really not responsible for everything. That isn't that no. isn't the case. Well, but the the other I mean, other board. So I mean. Quality and compliance are sort of the the evolution of specific new board responsibilities that sort of supplement what has typically been the fiduciary obligation for board members. And and you know again you know what Rick does here with compliance, Karen also does with quality. Is that you know it's their their job is to incorporate into their interaction with the board sufficient material and information that makes clear that the board is doing what it needs to be doing in terms of satisfying that piece of its obligation. So um, I mean there's I think it's useful for to begin with the board members themselves understanding that role and then sort of identifying for themselves how they want to exercise it, you know, because there may be specific things that are important to them or, you know, areas there they would want to. Um, and then, but, you know, our job is to also, you know, help the board, you know, by ensuring that we're, you know, basically bringing things to your attention that need to be brought to your attention. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. Uh, so pages 32 and 33 are the uh, compliance dashboard. On the page of the ER, we have a level two trauma. Excuse me. We have a level one trauma. ETA 10 minutes. 
trauma team to the ER. We have a level one trauma. ETA, 10 minutes. Okay, so I've... I've uh, Ouch. I've identified the uh, different areas uh, of compliance. You know, like I said, we, we went down on the number of reports this quarter. Uh, we still have a lot of HR and billing issues. Most of them are coming from Highland, which of course is our biggest uh, unit. So we kind of expect that. Uh, privacy issues, those went down this quarter also. It might have been because we had a lot of holidays and people were gone, but uh, didn't have as many issues reported. So, and still, Misdirected facts, it seems to be the, the biggest thing. Yeah. Okay. Trauma team to the ER. We have a level two trauma. ETA five minutes. Is we have it? a level two trauma. ETA five minutes. It could be the same. But it's level one before. No, it could be the same. Oh, the situation. situation but right. Two different trauma. That's what yeah. I said. Yeah. I thought we were level two trauma. So we are overall the level two. We can get level one. Okay. We'll talk about that at the next meeting. <laughs> okay. Status of the compliance plan. Uh, it is considered on time. We've we've done the infrastructure activities. We're following up on reported issues. Uh, I'm currently doing a review of the regulatory roadmap and the 187 regulations that were identified by SOA projects uh, to try to identify do they really uh, apply to AHS or any of our parts and how, how significant are they and kind of prioritize that work to see if I need to do some additional uh, reviews to uh, assess how we uh, comply with those regulations and they will be worked into future uh, compliance plans. Is there any overlap with your work in the Toyon report? Uh, no. No, this would all be different regulations, uh, HIPAA privacy, uh, High Tech Act, uh, uh, SNF billings, I mean, there's a lot of different regulations. Some of them overlap, but uh, they wouldn't involve the stuff that we're so doing. So how did you establish on. priorities? I haven't established priorities yet. Uh, I took the 187. I'm reviewing every one of them to determine if it uh, fits uh, our situation, and then I will be working that into the compliance plan uh, based on what I consider to be the more significant items. Now, the ones that are on the plan right now are there because they were primarily on the OIG work plan, and those are things that we could probably uh, be subjected to review uh, in the next year. Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say. Okay, so what, how, how you established your, your work plan priority and what drove that? So the plan that I've got right now, uh, it was pretty much building the program and the different parts that had to be done to complete that. And then I identified 
uh, three or four projects that were in the OIG work plan uh, that I want to make sure we're covered on before we get any notification from them that they're coming in to look at that. I see. And they publish uh, a work plan every year, uh, which I will be reviewing to see if there's certain items that look like they're uh, high profile, uh, high priority that I would need to put on the plan. Okay, so uh, the one project I have in, in progress right now is the uh, OIG exclusion list, which if somebody is on that exclusion list, they should not be working here. So I'm going through and, and looking at all of our providers and all of our staff to see if anybody is on there or if we've had the controls in place to keep them from being hired. What would get you on the OIG? Exclusion list. Uh, committing fraud against the federal program, uh, abusing a patient at a medical facility. Uh, there's anything that the government feels is improper that they don't want you working in a health care provider, uh, they're going to put you on the exclusion list and you cannot reapply for, uh, uh, you cannot, yeah, reapply for getting that exclusion taken away for five years. I see. And does this include physicians or it doesn't? It's yes, it does include it physicians. Does include physicians. It would be any provider, any uh, employee, any contractor. So when, when the renewals for certification in QPSC meeting, those doctor yeah, privileges. the privileges come through. Mm -hmm. Have have are are they checked first on this list, or is it an after? Well, so the exclude the exclusion lists are are kind of interesting because you know they are they are published you know by the time by the OIG and, and quite frankly you know it is it's sort of a um, uh, you know a proactive uh, requirement of the organization to you know obtain new lists and match those against their uh, employees which is the process that you know Rick is talking about so you know on whatever schedule that you know he looks for a list he would then run that list against our entire force. So that's how, you know, to the extent that there's some physician, that's where we would find them on that list. And I suppose the only thing that could happen then is if you had a physician who came onto the list, you know, the day or two after or before their credentials were going to the credentialing committee. But even if that were to occur, then once we find them on the list, then we would, you know, take the appropriate action to end their employment or end the relationship with them. So once we have noticed that they're on the well, list Well, I, I would assume that, that, that that's exactly what you did, but, but I'm led to believe that when we approve those credentials, everything is in fact, has been in fact checked. And so this raises the issue, can I assume that when we approve those credentials, because obviously uh, the, the board, that's not to say that nurses and anybody else are not important, but we only approve the doctor's credentials. 
So. Doctors in, in the mid levels, the PAs and MPs, right? Uh, I think, actually, I'm not sure about that, but I think it's fine. Um, I think what happens, because if I had a medical staff office person here, but I think that what happens when they do those reviews are they're looking at different um, uh, lists, they're looking at like, the state board and what has come before the state board, because there may be certain things that are problematic from the state board perspective that aren't problematic from an OIG perspective or any other state where a provider may have had licensure to practice. Uh, so but that is part of the process that triggered when they're doing uh, privileges renewals. I'm, I'm going to ask you, how, how frequently are you checking the exclusion list, though? This is the first time. So, But how, how frequently will you do that? Uh, since I'm doing it manually, uh -huh. it will be annual at best. Okay. But they, because what, what it's saying, like 6,000 people. Right. But what I'm saying, so, so privileges renewals happen every two years, at, I believe, right, for, for medical staff yeah. privileges to live two years. So they're, so uh, it wouldn't be tied to a privilege renewal, but it would be happening probably at least twice within, in, or at least once, but within twice uh, within anybody's sort of cycle. So we may even catch things that are problematic before they were up or due for a new renewal of their medical staff privileges. But I'd have to check to see if that's uh, that also That is not worthy of our checking, though, yeah. only because I think yeah. we can, I mean, we can even just inform broadly what, right. what are the standard right. process, but we, we, can, we, can, we can check on that. Okay. I'll, I'll be curious to see, since this is the first time you've ever done it, curious to see what the outcome is. But it strikes me, is that something that maybe we want to check we want to check against that list before we hire someone in the first place? Oh, don't we go we do a yeah, we do a live scan. Right. And that is a metal DA that's right. yeah, that's a lot of other sort or maybe not DEA for everybody, but yeah. uh, but FBI and a couple of other uh, local, state and federal law enforcement agencies. So So that'll be picked up at that point? It's caught well that if, if anything is caught on there. It's just all these things aren't I mean all these databases don't link together. Yeah. Okay. I, I will be checking on that to see if maybe one that more. will get caught. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I'm in the process of doing the review now, so yeah. we'll, we should have the results at the next meeting and uh, some recommendations coming out of it. Well, it'll be interesting. If our FTE count goes down between now and then, <laughs> you might want to ask what, what yeah. caused Expense it. reductions. Well, but no, what's while you hear you know, these news stories about, you know, some Okay. Somebody who bounced around terribly, and yeah, you do. This is true. All right, moving along. What's okay. the cheery news article you're showing us here? Uh, so, I was just highlighting this as a, a recent compliance news, and uh, again, it involves a California hospital and stark and false claims violations. Uh, hospital CFO. Robot. Two surgeons, two other defendants were paying or receiving kickbacks, uh, and the CEO was in on it too. He just pleaded guilty. So, so, so these people would be on the list. So, yes. <laughs> so we won't be hiring them. We will not be hiring them. No, but the, the effect of this is you can't, for example, be in an organization that sends in the bill to Medicare, which essentially means you're blackballed from employment in the healthcare industry. So for a physician, that's his that's like a, that's yeah. his livelihood. Yes, yeah. yes, they're done. Go teach science in schools, and then I have to get. Them. 
So there's been a lot of these in the news lately, and uh, I will continue to uh, report on them. Uh, and some of them are relevant to us that we would need to be looking for those kind of things. Some of them wouldn't, but uh, it doesn't hurt to uh, help educate us as to what kind of issues are out there that we need to keep our eye out for. Injured workers were treated like livestock. That's great. <laughs> Anything else, Rick? Okay, uh, current regulatory activity. We have uh, an audit of meaningful use that's being conducted of AHS right now for uh, year one, and they're, uh, they've CMS has hired an independent firm to come in and, and look, and we've been gathering documentation. Uh, the one thing that it's done is really uh, kind of shown that the structure I've been trying to get people to set up with their uh, IT files mm -hmm. to make sure that if the person responsible leaves, that somebody else can pick up the ball and they know where all the documentation is. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this has reinforced uh, that because in the case of meaningful use, we've had four or five different project managers over the last five years, and each one of them structured the data a little bit differently, and, and we've had some difficulties coming up and, and finding all the documentation on a timely basis. So uh, we're, we're getting that stuff cleaned up, and we'll have a data repository and uh, get through these with minimal uh, issues coming up. Uh, we do have the HRSA 340B audit that's ongoing. We are still waiting on the report for that, so it's no significant change. Uh, the HRSA FQHC audit, uh, again, we're still waiting on the formal report so we can do the responses and official responses and set up the corrective action plans. And that was all in the regulatory activity. Mm -hmm. uh, past audit reports, I have the SOA uh, projects assessment. There was a couple of findings that all related to IT security. There, those findings are really addressed in the management letter comments for last year. And so I'm closing out the SOA project report because we've covered the items in the management letter and I didn't want to track them in two different places. So we will just track the uh, security issues in the, the management letter comments. And that was it. Okay. Bravo. Uh, David, did, have, have we talked to the Board of Supervisors about, I know, our audit compliance is a relatively new aspect to our organization. Did, has that been discussed with the health committee? I think it might, it might ease some of their, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some of the questions that come up from supervisors on people who are mining the, you know, mm -hmm. to go, to have them understand that mm -hmm. we are going through this, this process and, and what sure, it would be. Uh, it might be worthy yeah. of putting on as a, I mean, that's just a suggestion you guys could talk about, but it might be worthy to give credibility to the kind of work 
that is in fact going on throughout the organization. And, That's a great idea. Uh, sure, yeah. happy to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think they get a, the finance people get a good sense of the work that you're, you're doing in, mm -hmm. the, in the finance department, but they may not understand that we're really looking at a whole lot of things. I think John's John's comment tonight on how we're we're trying to process might be really mm -hmm. might be really worthwhile yeah. to, to take that through. Them. Yeah, yeah, okay. and maybe yeah, to that. I agree that that's a great idea. I think it may be, Rick, you should go to a health care committee if only to be introduced, you know. Well, but, you know, people, it's like we, we have this thing, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they see a face, it actually means a lot. So. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I guess. Oh, uh, is there any public comment? No public comment. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> Any comment from CEO, from CFO, anything that... Okay. I have 10 hours of repairs to know. <laughs> <laughs> all by, you'll be all by yourself, Jim. Thank you, everyone.